what we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah, sorry about the hiatus there for a little bit. Welcome to 2021. This is the Between Two Wheels podcast. I am your host, Tyler Yonke. Welcome and let's settle in. Today's show, we're going to do a year in review awards show for 2020. A look back. It was a year of mayhem. It was also a year of COVID and some amazing racing. I just hope that we get that going next year. No, not the COVID, the amazing racing. It's Tuesday, January 5, 2021, and this is the Between Two Wheels podcast. Welcome, everybody. Um, year of mayhem. I don't know what else to say about it. COVID ripped us apart. Um, sorry about some of the episodes here. Been a little lagging uh, due to the COVID, uh, which I had. Um, it's been just a month of kind of just staggered illness of phlegm in the throat. So it's been a little bit difficult to talk. We'll try to slog through this. We'll try to get through it. Drink plenty of coffee along the way, at least to <clears throat> push down the throat and uh, see how we do. But I thought we'd do a year review and then do some a little bit of a, um, an awards of different events, uh, you know, different kind of, what are the categories? Best rider, best GC rider, classics, domestique of the year, domestiques of note, biggest disappointments, achievers of the year, overachiever, under, a U23 rider of the year, uh, best grand tour, best one day race, teams of the year, um, biggest classics team, biggest under and overachiever team of the year, uh, biggest surprise, tactical wins, most impactful events, biggest tactical blunder, or we might like to call that the movie star award. And then um, we'll get into, uh, we'll talk about all those things. Um, welcome. So uh, what do we have here? Let's just start first. Tour down under <clears throat> happens. Uh, and, you know, as it always does every year, except for 2021, we're not going to have it there. Uh, you know, you're going to probably see a bunch of different schedule changes. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, maybe we don't have the, the racing takeoff at all. Um, but this is where we usually see incredible heat. We also see uh, Richie Port usually winning on Wollonga Hill. So we should have known things were going to be a little odd when, in fact, he was allowed a break to go up the road and stay away for the win on Wollonga Hill. He did come in second and he did end up winning the GC so we should have thought, things are just going to be a little bit different this year. Sam Bennett also starts the year off uh, with a win down there. And um, so, you know, he, he had a great season as well. So we've had that. We had the Jayco Sun Tour down under there, Sun Tour, I think it was. Uh, and then we moved to Aust uh, Argentina for the Tour of San Juan. And here we got another insight of some, some oddness. Um, uh, Evan Pohl does well climbing he does well in the time trial As a matter of fact he wins an individual time trial over Filippo Ghana really yeah Ghana later on um gets the win in the Giro gets the world championships we'll talk about those uh Brandon McNulty showed promise there with the fourth on GC Filippo Ghana managed a second in the individual time trial overall GC climbing with the little guys on stage five and Gaviria won the final stage signaling some of the things for him to come in 2020 for sprinters and that's pretty more normal then we went to Spain, Valencia, Desert, uh, Oman, Tour of Colombia. Colombia, hey, that's where EF Education showed uh, they had some talent with uh, Martin Cachedo uh, and Higuita. It was also showed that uh, Egon Bernal was maybe not the dominant rider of the years past, at least not at least yet at that point in the season. Um, in February, February 22, the UAE tour started amid growing con coronavirus concerns. The tour was eventually canceled with only five stages completed. But the winners all showed what 2020 had to offer. <clears throat> you had Ackerman winning stage one. Uh, you had, I think he win, won the last stage of the Vuelta there. Uh, Caleb winning stage two. Adam Yates in stage three. Dylan Gronewagen, stage four. Tarek Pogochar of stage five. 
Gaviria and others were held in a hotel. Remember, they were locked in pending quarantine and COVID-19 testing and results. This locking of people in place against their will would be and continues to be something people will get used to, embrace, and encourage. Well done, Nazis. Oh, did, did, I, <laughs> did I say that out loud? Sorry, uh, Paul, I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything, but we had a, a dis disagreement here. Um, racing didn't stop, however, until we got through Perry-Nice. Remember, Max Schachman, uh, Bora ended up coming out the top there. Several teams were skeptical. Others dropped out. You had uh, Bardet was saying, this is dangerous, shouldn't be here. Uh, but those that stayed on board showed well. Uh, Nairo, he came good on the final stage, accentuating his early season climbing and possibly being back to the Nairo of old. Remember, he won up La Provence stage, uh, Mont Ventoux, which, uh, earlier in the year, which was uh, pretty fascinating to see. I mean, that one also had Cavagna going downhill well. Remember him from the Tour of California? I did a little comparison video of that. Uh, we had a COVID break. Uh, here's the year where things got messed up. We went into hiding, racing stopped, and some riding uh, was even outlawed. See uh, Gilbert in his arrest. Uh, the Giro was postponed, the Tour was pushed back, and it was decided the cycling season would give it a go in late August, cramming all the racing and the best it could do until COVID shut everything down. <clears throat> Tiro, uh, Tour, Giro, Worlds, Vuelta all ran consecutively with overlap of the Giro and the Vuelta. That's right, World Championships thrown in there in the week after the Tour de France. We also um, had a little bit of commentary of how we thought that would do. I did a little breakdown of that. It should be a little interesting. We also get the classics, except for Perry Robay and a few others thrown in, most notably Liege, Baston Liege. Yes, Liege was uh, very interesting because we had an odd winner. We had a little disturbance and we had just the top of the top coming in for that race. Uh, we had Tour de France. <clears throat> Remember, started rain around Nice, uh, stage one. One through three was there. UAE did an unexpected victory with uh, Alexander Kristoff. I'm not going to go through every result here, uh, but we will start in a few of the rain. Remember, it caused the unionization of the Peloton. They call in a truce, instant karma to Superman Lopez going over the top of the Caldees, um, where they tried to slow everything down, and he decided to just run straight through into a stop sign, fence post, something there. Stage three, we saw Julian Alaphilippe ignite the 2020 Tour de France like he did in 2019. The barn burning attack up the coldies, uh, so that wasn't the coldies that uh, Superman went into, uh, with Adam Yates in tow. And then we saw the first that I thought I thought it was at the time that it was uh, Roach Nicholas Roach, but it was Mark Hershey of the Sunweb team. He connected and he narrowly missed a victory, which we were going to then see quite often in this Tour de France. Stage fight, uh, we got a Wout sprint win, a climber with a finishing punch, pretty amazing. Uh, Lutsenko Wout. Peter Nons and then Pogacar narrowly missed, uh, got another win over Hershey on stage nine. Uh, this also got Roglic into the yellow, displacing Adam Yates. That's right, remember Adam Yates was in the yellow to begin with for the GC lead. Stage 10, we had Bennett. Stage 11, Ewing. Then Mark Hershey finally gets his win on stage 12. We had uh, Mar Martinez, um, Roglic. Remember, so then we had that super, super steep climb. And all along you had here, you had Dumoulin, doing work, you had Sepp Cuss doing work, you had Wout Poles doing work, you had everybody on Jumbo hammering it out. What other team do you remember taking control? No, you don't. Um, you did see Nelson Palace taking the reins and trying to get up the road. You saw him with Mark Schachman that one time, this do it for California, was the comment between the two of them. Uh, you had Carapaz, uh, once Egan Bernal hurt his knee and hurt his knee, he, I think it's, he had knee issues, I don't think he wrecked for that. 
Um, and then you saw him ignite and blow out the back. Well, then you had Carapaz and Kwiatkowski going up the road. They, they destroyed everybody that day uh, for a 1-2 win, getting Kwiatkowski the win. Pretty amazing there. Um, you had that super steep climb. I'm trying to remember which stage that was, but that's where Sepp Kuss led everyone up over the top. It looks like he was dropping everybody when uh, Lopez makes an attack. Uh, but you had Lopez. You had then Roglic getting distance over Pogacar. Uh, and then um, Sepp coming in there and Richie Port and uh, looked like it was all set up for Roglic going into stage 20 time trial up the Planche de Belfi. Who would have expected an amazing turnaround? And we had, at that point, a very close finish with 59 seconds. Uh, it was a swap of about 50 seconds. It was a destruction of Roglic in that time trial that we have not seen with a good time trial. We're not talking... You know, that it's Rasmussen back in uh, the 04 or whatever it was where he couldn't stay upright on his bike and he's a little climber that is not a time trial. This is Ruglich. This guy, uh, second in world championships a few years ago to Dumoulin. Once again, Dumoulin did a great time trial himself, but um, Pogacar just destroyed everybody, gets the win. Kind of devastating when you think about it <clears throat> to Ruglich. And so the idea there is, well, how's he going to how's he gonna handle this? You know, are we going to go into hiding for the rest of the year? Well, that, that was soon to see. Um, we had the Worlds about a week later. Remember, it was going to be in Switzerland. They moved it to Imola in Italy due to the COVID issue. And they kind of had it around a racetrack and some punchy climbs. If you saw our intro, you saw the great James Bond-like look, the helicopter next to them up on the, the precipice there. Um, in the time trial, Ghana, Filippo Ghana destroys everybody. Uh, in the women's, Chloe Dygert was headed to win that race. I believe she was pretty much out in front easily at the turnaround coming back in though she takes a bad right hand turn hits a guardrail goes over the top lacerates her leg she's out Anna van der Bergen ends up winning the women's time trial she repeats that in the road race with a solo effort there um the men Tadej Pogacard looks like he's going to do a little work for Roglic for Slovenia he goes up the road with a lap two laps to go the last lap though you got Alaphilippe Wout pulls full song Roglic uh they end up making a connection getting up the road and, but they can't catch uh, Alaphilippe. He ends up staying away. There's a little controversy. Hey, why isn't Roglic doing more work for Wout Pulse, who ends up second place with this easy sprint win of the field? Roglic, I believe, was sixth place himself. Mark Hershey was also in that group. Great look. I, I did a breakdown of the Tour de France, and I'll get to this in a little bit, but the Tour de France, the Giro, the Vuelta, and Worlds, and the different riders that were tops, top 15 and all of those. Uh, it's a pretty interesting little breakdown to look at, and you see uh, some amazement of one rider, um, two riders that kind of surprised me of how well they were able to, um, if, when they actually did the overlapping. Uh, hardly anybody did the Giro and anything else, or did well in anything else. Um, but you had riders obviously doing well in the Tour, doing well in the Vuelta, and doing well at Worlds. So interesting little breakdown of those that did the the worlds and that were in the Tour de France just the week before. Um, as yet, Alaphilippe winning, he did the Tour de France, but he didn't necessarily do great. Wout, he did a lot of work in the Tour de France, didn't, you know, wasn't in the top 15. Hershey was third. He was in the Tour de France once again, but uh, in one stage. Uh, Kwiatkowski, Fulsang did not. He did the Giro. Roglic, Matthews, uh, he didn't, wasn't allowed to do the Tour, I think. Uh, Valverde, Shackman, Caruso, anyway, all the way down to Guillaume Martin at 13th. Uh, so we had world championships, then boom, we go into the Giro. <clears throat> Giro starts out, and we're going up that Mount Etna. People are already igniting. We're, it's, the, it's the year for, um, 
what's his uh, G Thomas. You're looking for him because he had sat out after the Daphne. Remember, we had those races coming back after COVID. You had the quick succession of a bunch of them. Um, you had uh, Lombardia. You had, which, by the way, Strada Bianca, Milan San Remo. We'll get to these Milan San Remo, Lombardia. Um, you had the uh, Piedmont race, I think that's what it was, where Bennett wins and then has the clash with, with Fulsang over there in Lombardia. Um, you had uh, the Giro, though, was Thomas. You know, he didn't do so well in the lead up in, uh, in the Dauphiné. And you're like, oh, didn't make the tour team. That was a little controversial, or was it? He gets in, and then Ineos just flops in the tour. But then you get him in the Giro, and he's expected to be the guy. Doesn't have a good ride, ends up dropping out. You have guys, uh, the whole Jumbo team basically forfeits with the COVID infection. And, um, Filippo Ghana starts to take hold. You get a Giro, massive amounts of wins from Ineos in the Giro. Likes I haven't seen since the days of when you had a sprinter and, and a good GC rider. Um, then we had the overlapping with that, obviously a phenomenal uh, finish to that race. It was closer and than the tour just had recently been, which was inside 50 or around 58, 59 seconds or so. And then the, the, the Giro was somewhere around 30 seconds. You had a resurgence of Ineos. You had Teo Gegenhart, you had Jai Hin Lee for uh, Sunweb, you had Kelderman for Sunweb, you had Rohan Dennis pulling out one of the best um, domestic domestic rides of the, of the year, at least in a single race. And you had Jalamita, I mean, some phenomenal interest. Now, was this field maybe diluted a little bit because not everyone was there? Possibly. But it gave us some excitement because you come down to the final stage and you have Jai Hin Lee. Uh, ahead in the pink jersey ahead of Tao Gegenhardt, but Gegenhardt ends up winning that. Switch over to the Vuelta, which is already underway. It's reduced to 18 stages from 21. And right away, you start seeing Roglic picking off the time, and he and Sepp Kuss, and you're like, okay, are they going to be able to hold this out? <clears throat> he gets wins. You've got EF Education getting wins in the Vuelta, three of them. Um, they end up with third place over with Hugh Carthy as well which is an impressive uh, slot going into the last stage, stage 17, which was up to a mountaintop finish, brutal. Everything gets destroyed and you're left with a great breakdown of time between Carapaz and Roglic. And is Roglic going to end up forfeiting up? End up being the Vuelta was the closest race of the season. Okay, let's get to some categories. <clears throat> then we'll kind of break down some of these um, other races. And by the way, there's more races than all those. Miss Flanders, in the mix, Liege, Bastogne, Liege, Bank Tour. What I, I'd want to say about the year in review, and I've said this before, but when you come back from COVID, and at that point you had everybody was like, this thing could just fold up tomorrow. We don't know. So let's go full bore and let's see what we can do about getting a win right away. Well, when that's the case and you come out of you know COVID uh, being kind of ready and in shape, you are end up seeing every racer was in it from day one. So every race, you you know, sometimes you watch some of these races and you're like, eh, there's really nobody to note here. We'll just kind of watch this. No, 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 except for maybe the Giro. Um, and that had some riders drop out. But um, beside, every race was like high voltage excitement. You had all the top racers and doing races you'd probably never expect them to do. And it was fun, uh, fantastic. And it was, it was really fun to watch for that reason. Uh, but then you ended up seeing some of the domination. Ruglitch, for example, just pulling out the wins all season long, start to finish. Because he didn't race. He didn't even race be, uh, before COVID break. Comes back for the Slovenian National Championships. 
um, ends up winning the road race, loses the time trial to Pogacar, which is, uh, you know, something that we should have thought about later on, which we did, but it was a shorter race as well. Um, and then just slags his way through the tour, the Vuelta, and a classic in the mix. Okay, so rider of the year. Um, I'm going to save that one for last. So let's go for some of these others. How about we do GC rider of the year? Um, so here's my picks for that. You have Primus Roglic, Tadej Pogacar, Teo Gegenhardt. Those are the three guys that won the tour. And then um, I'm throwing Sepp Kuss kind of in the mix there. But maybe we'll um, share a screen and see if I can um, add in this little chart here. I don't know. You can even see this. But it's a little breakdown of uh, the riders that did the different races. And so I just wanted to see, you know, kind of where are the top 15 here. So then you have the Tour de France, um, Pogacar, Roglic, Port, Landa, Moss as an example. But I'm just going to go of guys that did two different events here. So Roglic wins the Vuelta. He wins the um, second in the Tour de France. And then he gets sixth in the in the world championships. He's one guy with three spots along these four races. Another one was uh, Guillaume Martin. Guillaume Martin ends up in top 15 here, 11th in the in the Tour de France. Um, he goes over into the Vuelta, gets 14th. I think he got a stage win there as well. And then he ends up uh, top 13th in the uh, world championships. The other, other person with three clicks on their belt here was Valverde. He was kind of the surprise to me because I didn't think he really had much of a year. 12th in the Tour. Um, over in the Vuelta, he was 10th, so top 10 there. And then he ends up getting uh, 8th in the Tour de France. As you can see, there's not many comparison. Bilbao, he did an impressive 5th uh, place at the Giro. And over in the Tour de France, he was down there at 16th place, but he had a much more uh, strong Giro um, pulling out. It, he's got that weird style where he just he wobbles the front end of his bikes. Um, full saying with Worlds and Nibali with Worlds as well in with the Giro. But you can see the Giro is much different. McNulty getting a USA spot there in the Giro. And, of course, we have Sepkus, 15th place in the Vuelta. And, I'm sorry, in the Tour de France. And where was he at in the Vuelta? 16th in the Vuelta. I think both of those, if he does a little bit of work at all uh, for himself, he's easily top 10 for those going forward. Um, so... With that, that this is kind of my help of saying, well, look, Roglic, I think, was heads heads about gets podium on two of the uh, big uh, stage races of the year, the Vuelta and the Tour, and gets a sixth place in um, Worlds. Just after the mental thing of coming out of the Tour, having lost the way he did to even get on the podium in Worlds was uh, pretty impressive. But I think it also speaks to just kind of how those the fitness is there. So I got to go with GC Rider of the Year, uh, Primus Roglic. Classics right of the year. Oh, look, we've got a few breakdowns here. Uh, we have uh, who's on the, the, the podium for this. Uh, we've got Wout Venner, uh, Matthew Vanderpoel, Roglic, and then do we have Julian Alaphilippe? I think Alaphilippe won the Ardennes uh, race. He also won Worlds. Um, he did win a race after losing Lombardia, but that's not strictly a classic, so it's kind of tough. What do you call a classic? Well, Wout, look, you call Strade Bianca a classic as an example. Wout. Bennett gets uh, first at Strade Bianca. Milan San Remo, he wins over Alaphilippe. Uh, he gets a second at Flanders to Matthew Vanderpoel and a second at Worlds. He has the most points of Classics one-day riders 
um, of the year. I think it was the biggest step up. He went from like 700 or so last year to like 1,800 this year. So it was an improvement of like 900 points. Matthew Vanderpoel wins at Flanders. He was sixth at Liège, Baston Liège, uh, 10th at Lombardia, and 13th at Milan San Marino. Uh, Roglic. Um, I throw him in there because he got uh, he won Liège, Baston Liège, and then he gets a sixth at Worlds. Um, it was Worlds a classic. Eh, I mean, this year you don't have Perry Robay, so I'm just kind of throwing some other additional things in there. Then you have Julian Alaphilippe. Um, so I think it really comes down to Alaphilippe and Wout. And but for Alaphilippe's post up slash riding like a meth addicted junior rider at Liège, with the tweaking that he was doing, um, you might you might have given it to him. But I'm going to throw it out to to Wout. His Strade Bianca uh, win, by the way, what, 40k out or so. His sprint over Milan at Milan San Remo, straight sprint. By the way, Alaphilippe, take note to that. Um, was impressive. His second at Flanders to Wout. And you know there was another race. Um, trying to remember which one it was where he and um it was the one that um Jakobsen um the Peterson Peterson won in the world uh, just after he was no longer world champion and he and uh, Wout and Matthew Vanderpool I think the week before Flanders they just kind of sucked it up they were um they were fighting over each other and they sit up about a, a 1k to go or something weird and it just was kind of an ugly thing um Anyway, we're going to give that one to Wout with a close second to, remember at Flanders, you had also, and we'll talk about this one day races though, you had, um, well, we'll just wait for that. Uh, Domestique of the year, um, I'm giving the nod, well, I'm giving the category uh, contestants there to Sepkas, uh, Rohan Dennis, uh, Tom Dumoulin, and you know, there's got to be some other sprint um, domestiques, but these are just kind of the ones that... I mean, I don't know if you, you give anything better than Sepp Cuss, who had a lot of pressure, especially in the Vuelta, coming into the Vuelta after what he had to do. And look, there's a ton of other riders you give uh, props to as well. But his stock went up huge due to his racing and being the last guy to be able to stick with. I mean, how often was it that it was Roglic and Sepp? He had one bad day in the, in the tour. Uh, he had one bad five kilometers, six kilometers in the Vuelta, which was the very last stage. And that could have been done with tactics, an issue that we've talked about before as to why he wasn't there. But another guy I want to bring up, though, is Rohan Dennis. Shouldn't underplay his performance in the Giro for Tal Gegenhart. His ability going up and over, what day was that? Uh, like, you know, second to last or third to last um, mountain climb there. He goes over the top of the, the climb, pulls... Um, Tao clear with Jahin Lee. They drop Kelderman, they drop Jalamita, and just pulls him up till the, the, the bottom section. It's a long flat before the final climb, and then lets Tao do the, 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 the business there. And then does it again on the second to last day um, of the, you know, before they go into the time trial. Amazing work, and probably would not have allowed uh, Tao to, to win this, the race without such incredible help. Um, do you, you, Tom Dumoulin also of sacrificing, you know, his knee was hurt and he dove in hard. I think it was the day that Sepp Cuss had a bad day in the tour early on. And Tom Dumoulin was kind of the one that drug everything up. You know, look, still gets a top 10 in the tour and he had a chance for doing much better. Um, but for his effort for Roglic, um, yeah, he, he did a good job this year as well. Wout Poles, uh, yeah, Wout Venner, sorry. Um, but there's a lot of other guys that I'm sure we, we missed out there. Some sprint leadouts, uh, you know, little things here and there. But I'm going to give it to Sepp just for the, the, 
the pressure that was on him and the ability of what he did. Um, don't mistakes of note though. I would, I <laughs> kind of have to, I mean, first of all, Sepkus, he's one, uh, like I said, Rohan Dennis, uh, I just wanted to throw something out there for Tadig Pogacar in his effort for Roglic at Worlds. Um, he did an amazing job of just emptying himself, trying to flush out the French who were had a, a contingent of about 30, 40 guys in the race at Worlds there for Julian Alaphilippe, uh, which they end up winning. But um, he took that off with two laps to go, really made the, the race and made them all work so he could try to get Roglic in, in good position. As it was, Roglic got up there in the break, and he should have done what he could to for help to to help Wout because Wout had done so much for him. So it was a little odd little um, thing he had going there. Uh, biggest disappointment of the year, uh, I put two names on the board here. One of them did get a win, and the other just didn't really do much at all. Egon Bernal, probably the biggest disappointment of the year. He was injured, just didn't have it early on in the season. Did uh, fight the EF boys in Colombia, but didn't win there. And then did not have it at the tour and really flopped his team Ineos in your, you know, it was fun to watch them just kind of being uh, decimated. Uh, but the other one is Peter Sagan. Peter Sagan, not uh, really looking all that great. I think he had the one win there in the Giro. Finally got his win and it wasn't super impressive. He was with McNulty, I think, or McNulty tried to catch him at the last bit there uh, for a second place, but um, not, uh, not really all that great. Overachiever of the year. <sighs> Do you really say Roglic is an overachiever of the year? I mean, his winning percentage was pretty high. Uh, pretty much, you know, he would have won the Daphne if he had stayed in there. Uh, he definitely, he was very close to winning the Tour. I mean, couldn't have done much more of that. Obviously, won the Giro, won five stages there as well. Uh, the Vuelta, I mean. Uh, winning Liege, Baston Liege. Kind of in a, in a, so I don't know if you give him the overachiever of the year. But maybe the top five of the Giro, you, you slog those in as all overachievers. Yeah, Tao Gegenhart winning it. Didn't expect that former action Berman guy. Jai Hindley, Australian, I think, um, didn't expect that. Wilco Kelderman, that one was probably the most expected, but yet even then, um, his ability to hold on to third was still pretty good. Jao Almeida, I mean, who ever thought that was going to be no one? I mean, when he got in uh, pink early on, you're like, ah, this this won't have, this won't hold, and yet it did. And then uh, Pelo Bilbao, even at his top five there, uh, impressive. Um, Another one, though, I might throw in was uh, Enrique Moss. When you look at my little um, breakdown sheet here, you know, Enrique Moss gets fifth at the Tour. He gets fifth at the at the Vuelta. Um, I didn't see him in the top there at the Worlds, but um, for an under-23 guy, hint of things to come, uh, very impressive. David Godou, uh, two wins at the Vuelta, little French guy for Groupama FGJ. Um, so maybe you... Uh, I don't really know which ones I'd pick. Probably the under overachiever would throw it to Tao. I mean, you didn't expect him. Even even Almeida, how many days he was there in uh, pink. Uh, underachiever of the year, like I said, we threw that over to Egan Bernal. I think that's a, that's a no-brainer for that one. Um, U23 rider of the year pretty much comes down to me as Mark Hershey and Enric Moss. And uh, Hershey with some stage wins, top there at the Worlds getting third place and two narrow misses at the tour as well. Always out on the, on the punch, uh, had a great, and by the way, news just came out today that he voided it or this canceled his contract with DSM was a new team, which formerly Sunweb. So he is out on the loose looking for a team or maybe he already has one, or maybe I just read the headlines and saw that he canceled it and didn't see who he had signed with. Um, but he, between he and Enric Moss, um, Moss definitely U23 rider of the year for G uh, grand tours and Mark Hershey, 
for his efforts um, on one day races and 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 in the tour it, in the Volta as well. Uh, well, in the tour in the in world as well. Let's talk about the races. The best Grand Tour. You had the Tour de France, <clears throat> Giro, and the Vuelta. Um, close Tour de France, but the Giro was closer, and then the Vuelta was even closer still. Tour de France, 59 seconds between first and second, determined on second to last day individual time trial. Second place person on that day ends up winning the tour, uh, the time trial and the tour. Um, pretty fascinating race from start to finish. I really thought, you know, there's, there's drama about COVID, there's drama about the racing, and you saw a dominance of Jumbo, you saw a failure of Ineos, and you saw, you know, even EF Education is getting wins. Sunweb doing some fanatical, fanatical, fantastic stuff. Giro, that was won by 39 seconds. Final stage time trial winner gets that. Um, Tell Gegenhart, who's in second place, he ends up winning overall. So he comes from behind. The Vuelta, though, the closest of the three, 24 seconds, second to last stage, determined the winner. Remember, it was cut down to 18 stages, shortened from 21. First place holds the win this time, closest Grand Tour of the year. Top five, all within three minutes and 36 seconds. Um, some highlights of these jumbo domination of the tour until they had no ability to help at all for Ruglitch. Even his helmet seemed to be a little lacking. Ineos flop in the Tour de France. Ineos looked bad early in the Giro. You're looking like uh, things aren't going to go well. The rebound and saving grace by Ineos in the Giro, though. Eight stage wins. You had Carapaz comes good in the Vuelta and narrowly misses the win overall. Roglic loses with heartbreak individual time trial. Raging on by Pogacar up the Planche de Belfi, and Volta gives us EF education. They win three stages, third overall with Hugh Carthy, and I will say the only team to win a stage in the Tour, a stage in the Giro, and a stage in the Vuelta. Best one-day race, um, for me, it comes down to Milan-San Remo, Strada, Liège, Lombardia, and Flanders. Um, Strada, Wout wins out from like 40K out, strong memory, it was warm weather, and it was just, he put on a show. And it was it was super hot day, which you don't normally see. But then he goes out and follows that up with his, uh, follows uh, Julian Alaphilippe, comes back into the final stretch there in the promenade and does a win over him. Very impressive on Milan San Remo. We had Il Lombardia. There was an amazing group. They merged with like 50K out. There were three Trek riders. There was, I think, two Astana riders. There's one Jumbo, uh, Bennett. And uh, one to coin a quick step, Evanipol, uh, crazy crash on the downhill where Evanipol tries to follow Nibali, crashes, goes over the bridge, crazy to see. And then there's, remember, there's a bottle in his back pocket thing. Well, then up the road, you dispense of all three um, uh, Trek riders. Um, it comes down to Fulsang, Bennett, and Vlasog. Vlasog gets put out by Bennett. Bennett can't hold on, and then you have Fulsang with the win. Very impressive. Uh, Lombardia was a great race to watch. Cue that up for like the last uh, 60K, and you've got uh, a great barn burner in store for you. The age bastion on the age. Hey, that's where Julian Alaphilippe rides like he's, a, like I said, a junior rider on meth, tweaked out, twitching here and there, looking back and forth, uh, posts up early. He's got all kinds of problems, and Roglic gets the win. Um, not as impressive of the win other than the fact that the mental capacity to hang on, to keep sprinting, and to be in the mix there uh, over Alaphilippe. <clears throat> then you had Flanders, Matthew Vanderpoel, Wout, and Julian emerge. Once again, Julian takes a line like a hopped-up junior racer, plows into the back of a motorbike, lays on the ground with a broken wrist, but he lays on the ground while everyone tries to go around him like a spoiled baby. 
Um, not impressed with that. And Matthew Vanderpoel ended up winning. I think for me, the best of those races, um, Liege Baston, Liege, sorry, Liege Baston, Liege was uh, awesome to watch. It's a classic. It comes down. I like to see. And and look, I think Alaphilippe put his foot in it and ended up losing that race. The other riders, um, you know, Al- Roglic ends up getting the win, but Alaphilippe really, you know, shanked a shot on the last hole as a, as in a golf example, rather than um, you know uh, Roglic holding out from twenty two hundred yards or something like that. So uh, maybe the best race though was Il Lombardia. You had crazy stuff there. You had some of the best. Um, climbing descending you had the big wreck that changed things for evan pole for the year uh you had full with a great win um you had the russian vlasov you had the australian bennett and uh some italians in the mix um so that one maybe is my uh race a uh, single day one day race of the year <laughs> teams well and look it's hard to gc team of the year You're looking at probably jumbo get second in the tour uh first in the vuelta and with that, they get a bunch of stage wins. They dominate in, in uh, look, but for the last time trial, which what can the team do at that point for Roglic? They did everything right. They had a great season. Um, so three wins in Tour de France. COVID took them out for the Giro. Uh, five stage wins in the Vuelta, first in GC, Sep 16th, and getting 15th in the uh, Tour. Um, but then you had any else wins in the Tour de France with Kwiatkowski, second with Carapaz there. Uh, they get the GC in the Giro wins, and they get second in the Vuelta with Carapaz. So Carapaz, Tao, and Rowan Dennis. Um, eight stage wins and first on GC in the Giro. Ghana with four, Tao with three, and Navarez with one. Vuelta, no wins, three podiums uh, for stages, and Carapaz on second place. But then you're throwing in two other teams that I really want to talk about here. <clears throat> EF Education first, five GC wins. Um for the Grand Tours. I think they had 18 wins for the season. Uh, all different riders uh, win in all three Grand Tours. Only team to do that. Three in the Vuelta, two in the Giro, one in the Tour de France. They third in the Vuelta GC overall. Fantastic for them. Um, but save for their duck jerseys in the Giro and the bike, they had a, they had a pretty good season. Sunweb, Hershey, close calls in the Tour. Three stage wins, all with impressive strategy. I And then you probably look at Classics Team of the Year. It's your one-day stuff. I'm going to give that to Dequan a quick step just simply for their amount of victories. Now, they're, I think they had 40, 39, 40-some 40 victories this year when typically they've only been having somewhere around uh, close to 100. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not it's not quite, um, quite as snappy as you would expect. Uh, let's see if we can share this here. These are some stats, year-end stuff that I thought was interesting. Um some of it's not that great. Luis Leon Sanchez has done 182,508 vertical meters in 2020. Good for him. Um, some of these just don't have names. It just has like a country next to him. Uh, nation with the highest relative point increase compared to last year. Slovenia. Great Britain, Australia. Races with most recorded attacks in live stats. European Continental Championships. Tour de France, uh, second, third there. Don't really care about that. Let's see if there was some more exciting. Um, five fastest World Tour riders this season, 43.5 kilometers an hour. Don't know. It doesn't say what rider, just gives a flag. Uh, but an American was third place there. Um, victory ranking this season. So there you go. 39 wins for Duke Corner, UAE, 33. Jumbo, 23. Bora, 21. Groupama, FDJ, 20. Ineos Grenadiers, 19. EF, 
Seventh place there, 17 wins. Movie star down there at two. Not good. Not so good for them. Um, fastest race of the year was the Tour Skullerland Stage 3, 52K an hour. Interesting. Wow, here's the one we were talking about before. He scored 1807 points this season compared to 873 last season, proving 947 points. Wow. That's uh it's very impressive on a one-day uh, race. We'll do a race with the youngest average Bink Bank Tour. I think that's with Mandy Va- Matthew Vanderpool ended up win- winning that. World Tour riders uh, with the least race days this season. Uh, Americans coming in second place. <laughs> Good job. job, USA. We did get Americans in the top, what, 16 there for all three Grand Tours. So that's not so bad to see. Um, let's keep going through here. Biggest surprise. Um, how about the biggest overachiever team of the year? That might be um, Sunweb, <clears throat> biggest underachiever team of the year. I would would have said Ineos, but for their, their kind of comeback on the, the, the two grand tours there, uh, Movie Star. I mean, you just saw it there. Two wins the season. Ugh. Mark Soler is going to be their guy. Eh, good luck. Uh, biggest surprise, um, see the Giro results. Watered downfield, perhaps? I don't know. Hugh Carthy in the Vuelta. Pogacar in stage 20, without a doubt, is probably the winner in that. Will Barda's narrow loss of one second to Ruglich in the Vuelta stage 13 individual time trial. That was a great um, effort. Um, big surprise, big sadness there for for Will, but um, good in the overall. Uh, best tactical wins. Probably give that to Team Sunweb in the Tour. If you watch their wins that they ended up getting in the Tour de France, I think they had three of them there. Uh, every, every one of them had some sort of tactical advantage where they were you know, kicking after someone else was attacking and they were just doing it at the right times. And you, you saw that and you're just like, you know, these young guns and they're doing it right. Um, and it was impressive to watch and other teams weren't quite able to do the same thing. Um, Ineos in the last few stages of the Giro, they had, yes, uh, the last few stages of the Giro with Rowan Dennis and how they were, they were doing it from two climbs out or two times up the climb to go. Um, the Gavia, I don't know if that was the one that they had, but it was it was amazing to see kind of their their approach. And I love the long range attack with the two guys, uh, Rowan Dennis and Tal Gegenhart. Um, Sunweb did have some questionable tactics in the Giro in those same exact stages. Kelderman has come out and said, hey, Jai Hindley should have stayed with me. What could have happened if I had had a support rider? True, but you know Hindley was doing what he was told. Most impactful event of the year, um, Chloe Digert's crash. That was very impactful. Um, she did get it on a new team. Her tweets and <laughs> Quinn Simmons' tweets maybe most impactful events for them. Um, the crash in Poland, though, that one probably has the most wide-ranging because um, – you saw penalties coming out of there. You saw, you know, animosity. You saw criminal uh, projections by Lefevre, um, you know, saying that this should be a criminal act. You saw changes in kind of how the uh, barriers and supports are going to be going forward from there. Um, the crash in Lombardia with Ivanapol, you're going to see maybe, you know, um, the bottles in the back pocket. No, that's not right. Um, it's just that was a big deal for him. He's a young rider. Who knows what he would have done. And it would have been awesome to see him at the Tour, Zero, or Vuelta this year and kind of with some of those other young riders and see how that went. And he got uh, didn't get his chance. Uh, so that was obviously a rider protest this year. They had um, no real power, I think. Um, they tried to unionize themselves at the Tour, which was kind of Tony Martin's thing. I mean, it can be another domestique of the year there. That was uh, Mason Marlowe's pick for domestique of the year. Um Trying to you know slow everyone down. Then they had Chris Froome coming out at the the, 
Vuelta after Roglic was given the three-second time gap. And I don't remember which stage that was when he ended up taking the, the red jersey back from Carapaz. And Froome comes out and complains. If you ever see the video, and I did a little breakdown of that, of uh, Jumbo afterwards, um, that stage, Roglic is like, no one talked to me about this. You know, we're all in agreement. No one told me about it. Um, so the rider protests. They're trying to get more power. They're not really doing it. Big, biggest tactical blummer, blunder, uh, as we called it, the movie star award. Maybe it's um, Julian Alaphilippe's flub at Liège-Bastogne-Liège. You know, worried about the other riders taking odd co- route and cutting them off and then posting up early. You know, he posts up early, what, the week or so after that as well? And he barely wins. He almost got nipped at the line again. Um, how about stage 17 of the Vuelta? That might be the, the one to take a look at. Jumbo. They didn't really have enough support for Roglic coming into that last climb. And Sepp was done with like five or six K to go. Um, Chris Horner's done a breakdown of that where he says that's all their tactics for what they did early on and not having enough guys for the last portion. Um, Ineos not attacking early on stage 17. That might have been a, another tactical blunder. EF allowing Mike Woods up the road earlier, I think it was a day or so before, uh, where he's not really then there to help Carthy. And maybe he, if you have him attacking early, you dump everyone out. Maybe you dump Roglic out earlier. You give Carthy and everyone a, tired, a chance. Uh, and anything movie stars involved in is a tactical blunder. So with all this said, who is your rider of the year? Well, for me, it's got to be Primoz Roglic. Um, and I say that for a few reasons. One, um, winning and just nipping, nipping, nipping at the time bonuses for the Vuelta and the Tour. Um, but for that time trial um, against uh, uh, Pogacar in the Tour, he would have won the Tour. And look, that was a devastating way to lose. And then he comes back and wins Liège, even though it's kind of handed to him. He still had to sprint, throw the bike, and he he's coming on to Alaphilippe. Either way, let's say he gets second place there. You're saying, oh, second place at Liège after the Tour breakdown. Sixth place in the World Championships. But then he ends up going to the Vuelta after such a disappointing route in the uh, Tour de France, stage 20 up to the Ponchebelfi. And he comes out to the Vuelta. He instantly starts hitting on all cylinders, getting the red jersey, getting time bonuses. He and Sepkus doing their thing. And all the way up to stage 17, barely able to hang on, fist pump over the line and rolls into... Um, the last stage of the uh, stage 18 of the, of the Vuelta as the winner. So he ends up winning a grand tour. He ends up getting second one. He ends up top six in the world. He ends up winning a classic of Liege, best on Liege, um, wins a, his national championships, wins a bunch of stage races going into that. Uh, impressive year for the guy and couldn't be more happy for him. And mostly because uh, Sepp Kuss rides for his team. And I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. That's what we had, 2020 crazy year i think we recapped a bunch there hope you stayed with us on all of that <sighs> people this was this was one year to hopefully forget and um hopefully a year that we can replicate as far as racing goes but not as far as covid goes i don't know what we're going to do about racing in the states if that's even a thing um it will be pretty interesting i'd love to start uh, getting back to some interviews and uh, talking to some people i see uh, legion of la they have um uh, Ryan, uh, what's her name? Kelly Ryan, or maybe that's his sister. One of the two that I spoke with at the tour of California. Um, it's gonna be kind of exciting. Thanks for joining us, everybody. 216 episodes in the book between two wheels podcast. We're going to try to do some interviews. I may have to give up my day job for that, but either way, take care. <laughs>